Hi, this is Sonia Walger, and welcome to Bookish, a podcast where I talk to interesting people about the five books that have shaped them most. My guest this episode is actress Felicity Huffman, best known for her role as Lynette Scarvo in the ABC series Desperate Housewives, for which she won an Emmy and three SAG awards. She was also extraordinary in her performance as a transgender woman in the movie Transamerica, for which she earned a Golden Globe Award, Independent Spirit Award, National Board of Review, and an Academy Award nomination for Best Actress. She's worked on stage and in film, and most recently appeared in the ABC anthology crime drama American Crime, for which she received yet more critical acclaim. She's the mother of two beautiful girls who I shamelessly invite over to babysit my monsters in the hope some of it will rub off and was kind enough to let me interview her in her home office in LA. Hello, thank you for being on my podcast. This is so fun to Thank have you, you so much. And we're sitting up books. in my lovely office. We are. Sonia came to me. Oh yeah, I, I travel, I travel. Um, this is, uh, one of the reasons I wanted you on my podcast is because I like just sitting talking to you um one of the reasons I wanted you on my podcast was because um I remembered I think it was you or maybe it was Bill at dinner one night telling me a story about how specific you are about the conditions you like for reading that you read in bed and your tea has to be a certain temperature and if someone comes in and bothers you you have you say no go away because now my tea's gone cold or yes is this right yes I have to say I've inherited it from my family all my family the the very most our very most favorite place to be is in bed with a cup of tea reading. And um, all of you, is that your parents, your siblings? All it's of you? my mother. Really? My mother started it. Yeah, she would say her door would be closed and she'd be reading in bed with a cup of tea and we could never go in there. And so it sort of became, it became so attractive because we couldn't go in. So anyway, that's all we like to do. We all get into bed together and, and read and drink T- tea. Together still? Yeah, we would do. You? Yeah, that's still. That's so lovely. Yeah. Are you so tight with them all? Yes, I mean, I mean there's seven of us, so yeah. there are little groups that, yeah. are, that are tight and get along, and some don't get along at all. Yeah. Um, but yes, I, at night or in the morning, I have my hot cup of tea, it has to be particularly hot, or uh-huh. a hot cup of coffee, uh-huh. and then I get this 10-15 minute reading time until I'm done with my, cu- I know, you can't even imagine I it can't. with two I kids, I know. a four-year-old and a two-year-old, so mornings are just, a, oh, <laughs> it's God, all a blur. totally me. remember <laughs> that. Um, but, but now I sleep later than my kids. I know you can't imagine that do either. You. So inevitably, but it's like a magnet because inevitably I have my tea. It's piping hot. Mm. I mean, it's so hot that I have to microwave it to get it that hot. Piping hot. I have my book, and and in comes Bill <laughs> to talk to me, and I I listen for a little bit, trying to be very understanding, and I go, if is it very important? If it's very important, I'll talk to you. If not, my tea is hot. <laughs> he goes, okay, okay. I love it. I think that's the story that he told me. I just thought that was so endearing and it spoke to such a reverence around books and all to the time that you want Mm -hmm. to have around a book. So you'll start the day reading? Yeah, I always start the day reading. Yeah, I'll get up half an hour early. Like I get up at 5.30 or or 5. Like I think Sunday I have a 5.30 a.m. call for we're doing a reshoot. So I'll have to leave the house at Five, so I'll get up at four, so I can spend from four to four twenty to four thirty reading. No way, mm-hmm. that's amazing. Because usually you'd hear an actress saying, "I'll get up at four to do, you know, my hardcore workout." Or, I, I mean, Probably you don't know, do you do not need um, to do that. But it's so refreshing and glorious to hear this. You get up early to read. I do. I mean, maybe it makes me sound a little. 
does a make you sound more blue stocking than no. I actually am. I mean, I, I don't remember anything of what I read, so let me put that caveat yeah. in there. And and I I have a wide ranging appetite of mm-hmm. books, none of which are books that are at all hard to read. If it's right. hard to read, I put it right down. Right. And I feel no. I feel a little shame about that, but yeah. I do stick up for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm the same these days. I used to be. I used to be much more of a glutton for punishment, and I felt like if I'd bought it and they'd, the author had taken the trouble to write it and all of this. And I remember it was really fairly recently. It was only about six years ago that I plucked up the courage to throw a book across the room. And since then, I've thrown what so was many book? books across the, the room. It was... Yeah, it's a good question. You know what I like? I like that, you know, every action has its equal and opposite reaction. Yeah. That you go into reading with a great sense of purpose and duty and and I am I am going to give you the respect that you deserve because you wrote this book and then when they let you down you throw it against the room it's the pendulum swinging. I it's, like that. It's true. It's true. I think you're right. I think there was so much devotion and doggedness about my reading and mm-hmm. then and then now I'm I'm so much more cavalier about it and mm-hmm. like yeah that didn't work let's let's move on. Um Let's talk about some of the books you chose. Good. I want to tell you I changed some of the books. Great. Fine. <laughs> I'm delighted. We'll, we'll, pick, tell me your first one then. What was the first book that you were... Okay. The first book was that I fell in love with and made me fall in love with reading was James and the Giant Peach. Oh, I think when I was about yes. seven. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I wanted to say it, it was like a... It was a it was like a love affair, you know, your mm. first love affair where it's completely engrossing and mm-hmm. you lose yourself and you you want to lose yourself and then it comes to an end and you go, Oh, I, I didn't know it could come to an end. Right. I thought this was forever and ever. I thought we were going to get married. This and- is um I'm just gonna clarify, this is James and the Giant Peach by Roald Dahl, which was published in nineteen sixty one. It's a beautiful children's book about about a, what these days would be considered a genetically modified <laughs> giant peach filled with seven giant bugs, I think. And then James has two horrendous aunts that, that live in the peach with him or come on this journey with him. Um, you were seven when you read it. Did you, were you, did you read it? Were you, was it yeah, I read you? it. Yeah. yeah, I read it. And, uh, and what I really remember is the heartbreak when it was over, just mm. like a love affair, because it was the first book that, I owned on my own, you know, mm. that I got to read, that mm-hmm. I decided when I was reading it, and it was heartbreaking when it ended. I don't know what I was thinking. I, I mean, I remember when I was little and I thought all my clothes were going to grow with me, oh, and these were my clothes so forever. Sweet. So I thought that this book would go on forever. So like a love affair, it was heartbreaking when it ended. And now, and then um, we read it to our own kids. I found the same copy that I read. It was an old, old book, Falling Apart, but, you know, I wanted the same cover. And... Uh, we read it to our kids, and I was talking to Bill about it earlier, my husband, and he said, make sure you tell Sonia how well I read that book to oh, the kids. Oh, so sweet, <laughs> as if it needed saying. It's so funny, hilarious. I um, love it. And you managed to find, not the same copy, but the same cover or the same the edition. The same cover. Right. Because I don't know if you remember the, the illustrations were very specific on that first one. It was, I don't remember was, the first one. They were sort know. of spidery and and somewhat they were... They were sort of grotesque in that they, they, they were appealing and they were repelling at the yeah. same time. They were scary. Yeah, and I, and I wanted it. That was, but that was what I, because I'm with you. I, I loved it when I saw that on your list. There's something about Roald Dahl who who taps into the darkness of children's yeah. imagination that, in the way that 
where the wild things are, which is one of my fa- if I were mm-hmm. to do this podcast, I I would if I were to interview myself, where the wild things would be one of my five books, and I feel like they belong in the same in the same world, and that mm-hmm. there's all this the the dangerousness of mm-hmm. a children's imagination mm-hmm. and the and the and the loneliness of it and stuff but i love what you say about it being the end of a love affair and that you didn't realize it could end I, that's that that's was my really first moving. that was my first lesson with books and then i was trying to bookend it with my last lesson with a book and oddly enough it's a children's can i go on to my second yeah one? of course it's it's a children's book again and it was um it was The Voyage of the Dawn Treader by oh, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis. It's part Lewis. of the Narnia, yeah. Narnia Chronicles. And, um, and there is a passage, and I say this, let me give this preface. So my oldest daughter is 16, and she's a sophomore in high school. Mm-hmm. And, she, and she is right there. That's, that's my <laughs> Hi. daughter. Hi, I'm doing a recording, honey. Oh, okay. That was my 16-year-old daughter. Perfect. I'm not editing that out. That was a perfect segue. <laughs> I loved it. Um... And now she's calling for her dad. But anyway, she's in high school, and she is experiencing the pain of people talking shit about her. Mm. Um, and also the pain of when she talks shit about people, what mm-hmm. happens. Right. And um, I realized that I am 54, and I still talk shit. Mm. And I go back to, and I told her about it, it was the... F- the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And in the story, Lucy, who's one of the four kids in it... Um, they're sailing in this story. They're sailing from island to island mm-hmm. with Prince Caspian, and they come upon this island, and it's somewhat of a magical island with a magical house. And um, she, Lucy, goes into this house, up to this room, and there is a magic book. And she starts reading the book, and one of the spells in it is to hear what people think of you, is to eavesdrop. Oh, I remember, remember this. It's and she and suddenly she's reading the lesson, or the not the lesson, she's reading the spell and it becomes kind of a uh, a movie and she's in it and her friend is um, her friend Marjorie is on the train talking to another girl. And they wow. talk Marjorie, her good good friend who she has stuck up for uh-huh. and befriended talks shit about her to another girl. Right. And Lucy is so wounded and so angry, and she slams the book and says to herself, I'll never be friends with her again. And then Aslan, who is the sort of godlike the lion, lion yeah. comes in and says, you know, um, it's bad to eavesdrop on people by magic or or, hmm. or normally. And he, he says, you know, Marjorie loves you, but she's weak. Hmm. And so the last thing about that I love is that it speaks of human error and and frailty and also forgiveness and Mm. that's so I learned the first lesson when I was seven and I've learned this last lesson from a kid's book when I was 54 and I'm I was talking to Bill about it and we went I don't think either one of us should ever gossip again Mm. and you go wow I'm you know, I'm in the third act of my life, and I'm right. just learning that. Just learning but that. I like does, that it's What does that give us left to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> just curious, unless we do a book podcast for the rest of our lives. No, I'm with you. But I'm struck, too, that that's, that, that was... I think that's something that's fun about coming back to books that we, mm-hmm. you know, that we loved as kids is that any time you reread anything is what was the takeaway what did I not see or how did I not see that the first time round mm-hmm. and and what am I wise enough to take away 
the second time round. I mean, when was the last time you read Voyage of the Dawn Treader? God, I read it to my kids probably about seven years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's fair, that's fresh-ish. I mean, it's yeah, it's fresh-ish. Yeah. yeah. Did you read all of them? Yeah, I read all of them. Yeah. I mean, that's what's great about our, my kids are a year and a half apart, and we just went through all the books, all the books that I love. Yeah, that I loved as a kid. Yeah, and I, now I love young adult books as well. Yeah, I'm I am newly discovering the young adult because I feel like that wasn't around when I was it. There was like Judy Bloom, and yeah. that was it. Yeah, do you know what I mean? They just yeah. it just wasn't a genre. You had this weird middle ground. Yeah, but that I had to fill with. Dickens or something completely. <laughs> I bet you did. You're so smart. I wasn't. I was just English. So that was what we had. Um, but yeah, I think I feel like that's a whole new genre that's really emerged and is sort of um, necessary that hasn't hasn't been there till that now. But I love them. Yeah. I, I went through two years of reading YA books, young adult books. Yeah. I just love them. What did you love? Do you remember? Well, I love the Mockingbird series. I love. Oh yeah, um, I read those too. Or I read the first. Two I anyway. love the. Um, his last name is Green. Um, the Fault in Our Stars is it? The that Fault guy? in Our Stars. That yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, I love dystopic, dystopic novels. Yeah. So I read a bunch of those series. Do you read them in tandem with the girls? Do you read them together? Do you read them? Yeah, to a lot each of other? times. Do I mean, you... now Sophia will recommend books for me, yeah. and I recommend books for That's so, for so Sophia. Lovely. Yeah. Are they both readers? Well, no. George's profoundly dyslexic right so um she maybe it's best actually she has found her own um, niche in terms of what she loves Sophia and I loves the same kind of books mm-hmm. and she loves autobiographies mm. about funny women oh wow she can tell you anything that's so about specific that's amazing Amy Poehler or Tina, Tina Fey or Carol them. Burnett yeah. or anything like that that's great and she listens to them over and over again uh, all on audiobook mm-hmm. that's great are you an audiobook fan no. No. I love them. You do? Yeah, I do. I have an Audible subscription and I and I and there's sometimes I there's a book that comes out that I think I only want to hear that read. What's the last Weirdly. one you The one I'm listening to right now is George Saunders, who is really only done short stories and this is his first novel. And he's written a book called Lincoln in the Bardo. And it's narrated by I mean David Sedaris is doing it. I think Susan Sarandon does a voice and there's like a hundred or sixty people that have come in to read all the different voices in this book. And Oh, I'm, so it's not like being read out loud, it's like no, a No, this is an actual sort of I mean he wow. he's it's it's part of the way the book has been written is almost like a screenplay ish. Wow. But um but I'm delighted that I decided to to audiobook this one because I think it's a completely different experience than it would be read. But um, but yeah, it varies. It's book to book. Self help mm. books I quite like when they're read out loud. Oh, by that's the a author. good idea because I can never get through them. There are a few. Actually, I have one here. I don't know if I told you about it, but that I could get through. They're hard for me to get through. I just so want to be, you know, my addiction of just reading. I just want to mm. be taken away. I yeah. don't want to be taught. Yeah. Unless it's unless it's with a lot of honey. You yeah. know how you give her ice cream or yeah, when you yeah, give yeah, medicine yeah, yeah. and you're like. I agree. The, the the last one I had a great experience with was Brene Brown, um, The Power of Vulnerability, which is ah. her audiobook. When and, and it's not even an audiobook, it's lectures and they and she's just woven them together to make it like an audiobook. And it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. So did you phenomenal. also read The Blessings of Imperfection? Uh, I no, I did not read it. I didn't read it because I feel like so much of it was incorporated into The Power ah. of Vulnerability that it felt like that's in there, this is what I what she's talking about is an extrapolation of what that book okay. was. I gotta get that. But um, 
you gave me blessings of a skin knee. Oh yeah, yeah. Forever ago. Yeah. Um, which Wendy is Mogul is so wise. Did you ever end up reading? Yes, of course I did. I have it by the bed because I was like, no, this is for bigger kids. It's a beautiful book that's about um, oh, yeah, it is. raising children. And uh, and it's for slightly... I When um, Flicker and I were having dinner, I had just got one baby. I think it was Billy. And I think Billy was maybe one. And yeah. you told me about Blessings of a Skin Knee and said it was this beautiful book. And then the next thing I know, you'd sent it to me. And... Um, and I read it and remember thinking, yeah, this one is to keep for when she's 12 and I'm dealing with mm-hmm. bigger stuff. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I have read it and I will reread it when the time comes. Although <laughs> she's behaving like an adolescent right now. So maybe <laughs> she's only four, so maybe I should go back to it. Um, what's, your, what's your third book? Okay, so I, I am a bit embarrassed about this, which, which ties into one of your questions, which is what book are you embarrassed about liking? And, you know, it's kind of like... I was talking to a true poet who said, who, what poet do you love? And I said, oh, I, I love Mary Oliver. Mm. And he sort of looked down on me, and I went, sorry. Oh, but anyway, um, I, I love Eat, Pray, Love. Oh, I yeah. must have read Elizabeth it. Gilbert. Yeah. Which was published in 2006. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know it's become sort of an anthem, and I certainly know since the, the movie with Julia Roberts. But... Um, it just, my friend Sarah Paulson and I, mm-hmm. I, we always trade books and she's the one person I'll go to a bookstore with and we'll both walk out with 10 of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm always like, what are you reading now? And she says, you have to read this. And we have very similar tastes. And um, she told me about this book. And oddly enough, my mom told me about this book. She, my mother called me up and she said, I think you should play this part in this oh. book. And I, I sort of at the time went, mom, I'm never going to get that part. And indeed I didn't. But anyway, um, <laughs> It just made me, which happens a lot with me in books it, that I love, it made me feel comforted because I wasn't alone in my female, in my femaleness, in my mm-hmm. train of thought, in the way I put ideas together, in the, in the waves, in the tsunamis of feeling mm-hmm. that come and go, as opposed to men who seem to be able to go, I'm upset about this, but I'm really okay about this. Right. And I end up going, I'm upset about this, so I'm upset about everything. Right. It colors everything. Right, right, right. And it made me feel very um, comforted and very... I had a community, you know, I had a community. That's mm-hmm. what it made me feel like. Did you, when you read it, was it early in the reading of it? Had it become the phenomenon that it was by the time you read it? Like No, you... the first time I read it, it was not the phenomenon. Right. It, was, it was sort of those whispers that go right. through, have you read this book? Have, have you read, read this book? Yeah, have yeah, you read yeah. this book? Yeah. And then I picked it up again, because I think I've read it three or four times. Mm-hmm. And my, my copy, which is over there, is just dog-eared, yeah. underlined and dog-eared. I, listen, I completely relate. I feel like, first of all, I don't believe it's ever there is a book to be ashamed of loving. I really don't. I think the whole point the whole point of reading is to find is to find a shared experience and if mm. you find that in the phone book or you find it in Eat, Pray, Love I feel like or a recipe book mm. like that was why I wanted to do the podcast honestly was like where where do we intersect with these books that we love it's not so much to sit and you know pontificate about the literary value of things because I did that for three years at Oxford and it was great and super fun but I, that wasn't the point of the podcast I was more interested in like what are these books that chimed with us and that mm-hmm. shaped us? Not even necessarily your favorite ones, but it was why I was so specific about wanting the books that shaped because because there is something about the recognition, as you say, of 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 meeting 
meeting a text or a person, but in this case, a text where you go, I, I see that. I see me in mm-hmm. that. I recognize mm-hmm. myself in that. And I think that's, I think that's so powerful. And I think that's what I, it comes back to what I was saying about rereading too, is mm. when you, you meet yourself anew, you're mm-hmm. like, oh, and there's that, there's now there's that version of mm-hmm. me that previously didn't know about heartbreak or spirituality or mm-hmm. remorse or, you know, whatever that thing, mm-hmm. that thing is. I read Eat, Pray, Love, and I remember pulling out a highlighter and yes. like underlining and scoring it and then coming back to reread it a few years later and being astonished at what I had highlighted <laughs> and thinking, oh, really? I, I went for that passage and I ignored this seminal <laughs> paragraph here? Like, yes. that wasn't worth yes. highlighting? So I, I relate. I don't know. I know you recently, fairly recently lost your father and I know that people say when people die, at least very wise people say, that the relationship continues. Mm. And I remember when my father died a long, long time ago, and my mother died about, gosh, six, eight years ago, mm. and then my sister died about two years ago, mm. two or three years ago. But um, when my father died, and I was about 25, I remember our priest saying, you know, the relationship continues. Mm. And I was going, what? Stop it. <laughs> and then uh, and then I remember them saying it again when... My, my mother died, and again, I was like, mm, yeah, maybe if you're a lot more spiritual than I am. And then I remember it happening again when my sister died. And the reason I can understand the concept is because of literature, hmm. is because what you just said, you go back and read the book again. And, or, or even I, you know, I just had that revelation, as I said earlier, of not wanting to gossip. Yeah. That's in the last two weeks. Right. I haven't read that C.S. Lewis book, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, in seven or eight years. Right. But my relationship has changed to it, and it keeps developing. Yeah. It keeps developing. Yeah. That person, in the form of that book, mm. is still influencing me and speaking to me. Mm. So that when I see my daughter suffering because of she is gossiping or people are gossiping about her, I can lean on the relationship of a book the way one would lean on the relationship with a father right. or a mother. Right. So I think it no, it's interesting and it's something that's sort of been emerging talking to people about books has been that particularly as a kid, there is a um, degree to which your one's moral code starts emerging from books. Like mm. of course that comes from your parents, but or hopefully it comes from your parents <laughs> and family. But there is also an element of the formation the crystallizing of who you are that starts coming from these from these books and I think for those of us that grew up with C.S. Lewis and um and Dickens in my case and (laughs) and the others there's a very um there's a very high there's a high mindedness Mm -hmm. about these children that's that's sort of that maybe is still around today I don't know Mm -hmm. I don't read enough YA stuff to to really know Mm -hmm. about it but there's a I, like I'm curious whether a scene like that where Aslan says don't speak ill of others and mm-hmm. don't don't eavesdrop with magic. I'm curious whether that would still be present. I don't know if there's that scene in Harry Potter. And I think J.K. Rowling's children are pretty high-minded. Yes. Very. Yeah. Very much so. Um I'm so I'm curious, you know, anyway, it's just No, that's a interesting. Thought. It's yeah. like where do we know. this moral coding that we get from our from mm-hmm. our literature as well and mm-hmm. and where that starts falling into place for us. Harry Potter was on the list you sent me. Is it still on the list you have in front of you? 
No, it's no. not. But um, <laughs> but, but since I it's there, it. did you did you read all the books with the with the girls? Oh my god, we read them out loud mm. three times. Did you? And then we listened to it on tape because of the brilliant guy who um, reads them out loud. He's a wonderful actor. I can't remember his name. Does he do? But all he the got voices? an Emmy. Yes, I think I know it. about this. He does all the voices, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he does yeah. all the voices. Incredible. We listened to maybe it's five because I think we listened to that twice. Wow. Yeah. And then you guys read it out loud to your girls. You see, I would pay good money to be if I have. I'm sorry to have Felicity Huffman and Bill Macy <laughs> read me Harry Potter. I would die happy. I really, I think listening to up. your voice no. with your accent, no. listening to read anything, I would no. too. But you know, Bill and I also read out loud to each other quite a bit, which is Do some of you? these things. Yeah. Really. Um, but yes, I, I love the Harry Potter books. But yeah. wait, now I need to go back to that. Would you okay. read a chapter to Bill? Would you read a passage out to him? What would what would you what would you? Would Bill you and an I have read book? whole books to each other. There's really? um, I think I put this in the William Manchester books. Yes, the, the Last Lion, the Last Lion, which is the biography of William Churchill. Right. Um, William Manchester is so brilliant, but Winston Churchill. Sorry, William Manchester, Winston Churchill. Yes, yeah. I had written it down because I did not know about this. You put Churchill. <sighs> Manchester, and I thought this is probably a biography I should know about. Um, it's called it's The a, Last Lion. Right, and it was published in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And I discovered that William Manchester died while working on the last volume. Did you know that? I did not know yeah. that. Um, however, before his death, he had already selected Paul Reed to complete it, and the final volume was published in November 2012. There, that was oh. what my tiny bit of research uncovered. I love that. And you read you read all three? You read the trilogy to each other? Or well, I've only read or? the first two, uh-huh. so I have I didn't even know about the third, but um, my sister um, told me about... My sister, actually, who died Mm. two years ago, three years ago, um, said, you've got to read this book. And I started reading it, and I went, oh, my God, Bill, we have to read this. So we went through both... I mean, they're thick. They're doorstoppers. I looked looked them up on Amazon. We read the whole thing to each other. Wow. Yeah, it took a long time, but it was was really wonderful. We've read several books to each other. We read... um, um, a wonderful book called City of Thieves by David Benioff. Yes, which I loved that book. You that did? Was, I adored it. I loved seeing it on your list. Oh, I love that It was that fantastic. Book. It was so great, wasn't it? David Benioff does um, Game of Thrones. Exactly. I was, I was just so infuriated when I saw that he'd written this and I was like, what, in between seasons of writing <laughs> Game of Thrones you wrote a black comedy set in the Siege of Leningrad? That was just what you tossed off. That was what you did in your downtime, motherfucker? I know, I know. We read that to each other. We've read... We go through times where we read to each other. It's a lovely, lovely habit. Yes. Um, You can't... You sort of can't... Small kids, it's hard because you're just... Everybody falls asleep. Oh, it's hard. It's also just... I'm... Well... I think, for me, it's attention span. I mean, if mm-hmm. Davy decides, if Davy starts reading me, Davy, my husband, who's a screenwriter, if he starts reading me, you know, an article from the New York Times, I'm usually on Instagram about three <laughs> lines. <laughs> because there's a degree to which you feel you're being educated. It's what you're talking about, about yeah. when you feel you're being lectured or educated. Yeah. It's it's just irritating. Oh, and he's yes. not. He's trying to edify and tell me yes. something that's interesting to yeah. him. But it would probably be different if you were reading me. I think it might be different yeah. if you chose to read me a, a good chapter story. of a book. Yeah. A good story is fantastic. Yeah. Do you make up did you make up stories for the little for the girls when mm-hmm. you were little? Did you do fantasy you know, made up stories or would you just read books to them? Or was it both? No, we had this I must have gone on for God, five or six years. We had a whole world that was made off based on a book. Which was the book? What was oh the, my they were God. The spin- we all called, had, we've all done spin-offs. Yeah, right. The spin-off. The- King of the Wind? 
No, don't it's know by it. the it's it's about the Godolphin Arab, uh-huh. you know that started. You're like what? No, the Godolphin Arab horse. Okay, started basically the whole thoroughbred line okay. that that went to England and all that stuff. And um, I read it when I was little. I think before they had young adult literature. You know, you go from Little House on the Prairie to King of the Wind. Right. And I loved it so much, and it stayed with me. So I started spinning off these two horses. And then a mouse that was in it. And then, I mean, it went on for years. Amazing. And years. Is, it, is it like a black beauty? Is it the equivalent of that? Does, does that ring any bell? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it sort of is. It's a. It's about, um, but, you know, it's it's grounded in fact, which is the right. Godolphin Arab came from the Sultan's stables and the Sultan's sent a good, I don't know how many horses, over to the King of England. And, you know, they were used to warm bloods, which are these vast horses, these huge, heavy horses. And these little Arabs showed up with their little heads that are so fast. And what he did was he sent stable boys with these horses. And this stable boy had had his tongue cut out because a lot of the stable boys had their tongues cut out so they couldn't talk about the horses and the lineage and what was done to them. But... Around each of the stable boys' necks, they had the lineage of this horse that, I mean, they slept in their stables. And, um, and of course, at first, when the Arabs went over and it was some, some duke or something that received them and went, who are these tiny horses? We don't want anything to do with them. And it's the story of how this Arab went into London and became a cart horse and a milk horse and was beaten and then ended up becoming one of the uh, bloodlines of what we I all do today. I know. Sorry, story. that's long. so great. Don't be, I don't want to cut <laughs> any of it out. I love it. It's so great. So we so came great. off, we spinned off of that. Isn't that funny? Like, I'm doing spinoffs these days of the fucking Frozen Sisters. I literally <laughs> say to Billy every morning we drive to school and she goes to a Waldorf school and part of the sort of, you know, ethos of a Waldorf school is that they're not supposed to have media and they're not supposed to have media ideally either side of school. So either in the morning or in the evenings. So Friday and Saturday, as far as I'm concerned, is just Disney night. But <laughs> during the weekday, I adhere to the rules. So as a result, we don't do music and we don't do story tapes or anything. But so every single day I put my kid in the car and she says, tell me a story, mum. So I make up a story at 8 a.m. after nowhere near enough coffee. <laughs> I have to pull a story out my ass. And I Wait, so you can't that- even listen to music? You're not supposed to. Believe me, I, I, I'm, I'm painting myself as this extraordinary martyred mother. <laughs> I, I stick storybooks in. I really do. And, and we sing songs. But, um, but no, so I lately have been recruiting her. And I'm like, all right, I'll start the story. You finish it. Or we, do back, we go back and forth and we build the paragraphs. And I say to her, what do you want? Who do you want the story to be about? And every single day, Anna and Elsa, Anna and Elsa. And I'm like, all right, once upon a time, there were two squirrels called Anna and Elsa. No, they are not squirrels. <laughs> They are princesses. So I'm like, dude, then you tell the fucking story. <laughs> Either I'm telling it and I'm in charge or you are. Anyway, so every day we start a story with Iron Elsa. So I'm really looking forward to the day where the spin-offs have a different origin story. I can't tell you. I'm so over the Frozen one. Well, I was so over the whole Saladin and Saladina and Timmy the Mouse and oh my God, it went on and on and Gupta, his sidekick. But I have to say, I know on one hand it's, I don't know if, if if part of your of your of your exhaustion with that story is because it's Disney based, but I think Frozen w- changed the conversation with young girls and being the heroines mm. in their own stories. I mean, of course, every story, and we all stand upon the shoulders of those who came sure. before us. But uh, I think it's so wonderful that finally there's. 
there's two princesses that it's a relationship between the two of them. But anyway. No, no, I'm with you. I mean, there are worse. There are definitely worse ones. I just, I wish, I wish Elsa were more likable. She's, uh. she's, she's pretty unlikable as a character ah, <laughs> in her isolation. And, and Anna is all about servicing her sister and winning her over, which is, which is also good. And I love that the guys are all, you know, second fiddle and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish Anna were more likable. That's it interesting. Would be my, would be my, or else, oh, whichever one, the blonde one. Yeah, the yeah. Blonde one I've the, only seen in it the once. nylon blue That's dress. That's the difference. Yeah, it's fine. As you can see, I know it by heart. This <laughs> um, what was your next book? Because I, I have other ones here, but I wanted to talk about all of them. But you talk um, about the ones you want to talk about. Okay, so my next one, I think I told you about this. It's the um, Anne Lamott. <clears throat> oh, yes. Help, Thanks, Wow. Do you Help, know that thanks. one? Wow, I didn't know that one. I, of course, know Bird by Bird. Oh, which... I don't know Bird by Bird. Oh, you don't know Bird by Bird? No. Okay, so I Bird don't. by Bird is just briefly as a book on writing, and it is, I think, probably the most seminal book on writing I've ever read. No. Yeah, and it's extraordinary, and it's um, it's a it's a proper writer's manual, and, and the Bird by Bird references her being doing a homework assignment as a kid that was about she had to do some sort of encyclopedia of birds I'm bastardizing the story here mm. but it was some version of that and she said to her mama how am I going to do it how am I going to do it and she said bird by bird darling bird by bird and and it still is a book that I turn to these days for for writing so so do that you write? was the yes I do another podcast okay okay um, sorry no no not at all um but yes so so that's the Anne Lamott that was what of, of her I know and I follow her on Twitter because I think she's a sort of modern day seer and prophet so I, was... I think so too so there's this thin thin book and it's called help thanks wow and and it's basically three words that assist you in asking for help from a higher power and um it's she says that it's 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 a communication from the heart to that which surpasses understanding. Hmm. That's and, lovely. Um, and she said, you know, when I pray or whatever you want to call it, I, I like to keep it simple. And the first one is help, mm. which usually comes, you know, from pain or desperation sure. or, or longing. And that's usually when we're sort of in the depths of, can be in the depths of the despair. And as she says, you know, we're all nice and juicy from the consequences of our own thinking and uh-huh. acting that we're ready to be taught. Uh-huh. And so you just throw out help. Hmm. And that means you're open to being taught yeah. and listening. And then thanks, which is when you start to see, because, you know, you know, we, we, we pray to not change the circumstances. We pray to change ourselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when you start to see the sun coming out, and so it's, oh, thanks, or mm. as she says, you know, it's not really thanks, it's thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, but that just <laughs> took too long, so I said thanks. <laughs> and, then, um, and then the wow is the praise mm. of the, the thank you. Mm. And so, one, I liked that it was so thin that I felt like it was a self-help book that I could get through, and indeed I did. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's almost a coaster. Really? It's so thin. Okay. And then... Um, I'm going to look for this one. I like that on my good days or on my somewhat present days I tend to cycle through all of those right. at, at one time or another and when I'm when I'm on my game or, or remembering uh, or present I, I, sem- I seem to remember to sort of try and look forward with delight mm-hmm. um, and 
that goes against what I learned or what I, I do naturally. You know, I kind of look forward with great sort of dread and tre- trepidation and fear. You know, I wake up in the morning going, okay, I have to get my kids to school this morning and I have to do it right. And, um, and when things end, I have a great longing, you know, like Thomas More said, he said, you know, the soul always longs for what it had. So when things are ending, I'm always like, oh no, it's ending. Me too, me too. And so just that phrase of, I look forward with delight, you know, mm. then I go, oh, it's going to be okay. I look forward with delight, which I think is part of the praise. And also to, you know, that I look up and go, okay, today I'm going to see and recognize God's many blessings. And it just sort of, it sounds like I'm really God-centric and I, and I don't mean it, doesn't it from any... It at all. It doesn't. It sounds, it's... no, it doesn't sound like that at all. It sounds like there's a spiritual center to your life that, mm-hmm. is, that doesn't sound God-centric. It sounds like a an awareness of... yeah. Or at least a self-awareness of where you where you tend to go first thing, yes, where yes. you tend to go naturally, and yes. what. How do you course correct that? How do you know? Do you catch yourself doing it first thing? Do you does this book? Do you keep it by the bed? Did it just go? I do. I kept level? it. I kept it by my bed. Then I keep it by the toilet, which is always a great place. Uh-huh. I also keep books that I never read by the toilet. <laughs> I'm like I should read this. Remember when you were in school and you'd put a book under your pillow? Usually science, and I'd be like, maybe I'll learn maybe it. It'll go in. Um, <laughs> Um, there's a great book called Preparing to Die because I've had a lot of death in my life lately yes. and I was like what a my sisters are like this is a great book you gotta read it you gotta read uh-huh. it so I put it in the toilet and I never look at it um, <laughs> but, but anyway there, so you are preparing at some level it's <laughs> yes, happening at some level only when I go to the bathroom um, so yes I can self-correct yeah yeah I can self-correct it's amazing it's yeah. amazing because I feel like I read these books like Brene Brown or whatever and I have to it, it takes so much wherewithal Maybe it's just having the little children or maybe you just have to read these. Maybe you have to read enough of these books. Maybe there's a critical mass at which one actually tips into becoming uh, a better person (laughs) (laughs) or or a more present person or a a person who does that. I'm with you too. I'll I'll wake up in the morning and be like, right, what's happening? What's the plan? What's the thing? I'm on top of it. Yeah. I'm going to beat this day. Right. And and Davy can have had less sleep than I and come downstairs whistling and put yeah. music on and look out the window and say, wow, look at the white caps on the ocean. And I'm like, fuck you. I, <laughs> <laughs> I should have done that. I didn't do that. Why didn't I do that? In and all honesty, though, that's that because book. you're carrying the family. Right. It's because your load's heavier. I mean, yes, we should be able to all go look at the yeah. white caps. But, you know, I bet when he's got... A deadline due, and he yeah. feels the weight of that. He doesn't see the white caps. Yeah. None of us do. Yeah. No, I think you're right. Think but you know right. what really helps with course correction is that sentence I said about, I'm going to see and recognize God's many blessings. Because then, you know how they say your brain isn't really a recording device, it's a projecting device? I hadn't had that. Yeah, it's, a, it's neuroscience. And then you start to look for, mm. i.e. project, but right. look for those things of like, Oh, you know, it was a real blessing this morning. Yeah. I love that time with my cup of tea yeah. and my book. I got, right. I got up ten minutes early, so I got that extra time. Or I loved how hot my coffee was. Right. Or I love that. Right. Whatever it is. Yeah. And that, I'm able, because I usually that I'm able to shift the needle a little bit. Mm. Just that sentence. Yeah. It's lovely that I think that's right. I think it's it's something that I've heard a lot is that gratitude, which is what you're mm-hmm. talking about, is the is the thanks part yeah, which seems yeah. to me the core of of this if mm-hmm. you can get to the thanks part then you can probably tack wow on at the end mm-hmm. if you yes. need to 
but that the gratitude is something that needs that it, that can be acquired that can be practiced you don't have to be born with an attitude of gratitude that you can actually like discover that yes you know and or, or, or cultivate it is a better word maybe yes i think so because i certainly wasn't born with it and also what i had to learn about gratitude for me growing up gratitude always was linked to you know the the help well thanks the mm. thanks part was always linked to guilt right you know you should be grateful yes, you course. are not appreciating yeah. things yeah. and so it became a real litmus test for me that if i when i was you know when you do your gratitude list or something it couldn't be anything that made me feel guilty right you know it's not like i'm so grateful i have legs right i'm so grateful <laughs> that i have a roof over my head anything yeah. that made me feel like you ungrateful wretch yes. i take off the list yeah yeah that's um, it's, that's that makes sense yeah. it really does um so okay was that your was that your fifth no and was it what do i have we had james and the giant peach Mm -hmm. we had eat pray love yeah we had the last lion Mm -hmm. we had help thanks well help thanks well is that four or five i think that's four give me five give me five oh i have what did i tell you well i still have stand before your god i still have boy and i I still have the signature of all things and the Taran Wanderer series. Okay, let's do... This is like... Choose it. Um, it's going to get worse in a minute. I'm going to make you pick one that you can take to the desert island. Okay, I know I know exactly what that is. Okay. So I, I'm going to choose Stand Before Your God. Okay, so your fifth book is Stand Before Your God. Because one of your questions was, what book made you laugh out loud? And Stand Before Your God. Even though it's about English boarding school, which I have no... <laughs> No familiarity or thing. It just made me laugh so much. So Stand Before Your God is is a book by Paul Watkins, Mm -hmm. and it was um, published in 1993. And so tell me, it's an American schoolboy in England. I had not heard about this book. I looked it up, and I was like, I can't believe the reviews are wonderful. I had never heard of it. You will love it. I must read it. It looks great. An American schoolboy who gets sent to the Dragon School and then to Eton. Yeah. So... So how old were you when you read it? How did you find it? What did it... I guess that they all come from my brother, my, my, or my family. Uh-huh. Um, my brother told me about this one. He said, you got to read this book. It's great. And what's wonderful is the author, Paul, when he, it's, it's, it's a young boy, a young American boy who gets sent to England for school, like you said. But with each year, as he describes it, he captures that voice of the young boy, of the little older boy, of what it's like. I mean, it's not, it's not reminiscent. You're living in it as he's going through it. And also, you know how he captures so well when you're little and how things sort of don't make sense in a way. It's more like a pastiche of of pictures that are placed yeah. on top of one another sure. and you don't really link them. You're uh-huh. just kind of like, well, that's weird. That uh-huh. happened. Um, it's like that. He, he has a wonderful section about, he goes to confession. <laughs> is he Catholic? <laughs> I guess he is. Uh-huh. Uh, or maybe his mother makes him go or something like that. He goes, His someone says, you have to go to confession. Maybe it's his father. I haven't read it in years. And he goes into the confessional and you know, you have to wait for a while in a confessional and then there's this little sort of um, I don't know what you call it, screen, and uh-huh. you wait, and then the priest goes in the other side of the right. confessional and pulls back the thing and uh-huh. says... So he's sitting there doing, going, what is this place? What am I supposed to do in this tiny room? And he sees the ledge where the screen is, uh-huh. and he says, oh, that's interesting. 
So he, because he's a little boy, yeah. I know you have one, he decides what he needs to do is climb up on the seat <laughs> and then climb up on the little shelf that is. So he climbs up with his little schoolboy shoes, and then he hears the screen on the other thing open, and there's the priest looking at these little schoolboy shoes. And then instead of jumping down, he just goes upside down with his head at the priest and keeps talking to him that way. And I just remember having to put it down and laughing. It was so sweet. You see, I'm so glad that you say it's funny because I read the blurb and looked it up on Wikipedia, and then I had to look at it on Amazon. And I thought, oh, I wonder if this is a portrait of pain. I wonder if this is, is if this is the dislocation of being an American and having to learn an English code and an English public schoolboy system. I mean, they could it couldn't be more isolating. I, w- I would have thought it is a lot about pain. Right. But because he writes in the voice of the age that he is, right? It's you. The pain is a retrospective because when right. you're in it what you feel is the bewilderment absolutely and there are a few times where he says because then he goes on to Eaton's and he says he feels so sorry for the boys who haven't been through the English system and then end up at Eaton's right because it's it's a different world with yeah. different rules yeah. and all that sort of stuff um yeah it was it was did you go to a boarding school I forget I did yeah you did how old were you when you went 13 did you find it? Were you did were your siblings already there? Did you have sisters ahead of you there? No, they all went to boarding schools, but different boarding schools. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you have to learn the code? Because I did when I went. Oh my God! How old yeah. were you? Eleven, eleven to eighteen. I was there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, I did. Yeah. I went. What is this right. place? And you and you're scrabbling as a teenager. I mean, you're scrabbling anyway with the hierarchy and who's the cool girl and mm-hmm. where do I fit in and all of that. But there seems to be something really pronounced about it about going to a boarding school where you're sleeping there too. You yes. have to like decode everything, your whole place, your pecking order, and then yeah. and then there's no downtime because you're sleeping with them. Yes, as well. yes, it's pretty. And intense. you have no. Um, what do you call it? Like when you're running and and you 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 have no fortitude. You you have you don't have your runner's legs yeah. under you, so yeah. it's exhausting. Yeah. I remember um, that. I really I really remember. And I wondered whether that had resonated, whether that had been part of what you'd liked in the book, whether there'd been any part of you that I don't want to project this on. No, you, no, no. Wasn't I'm thinking um, because the other book you had on your list that we haven't talked about was Boy, which was Roald Dahl's autobiography, which mm-hmm. was also I had read years ago. And I was thinking about it when I saw it on your list, and it was reminding me that that too was a book about decoding um, childhood in a mm-hmm. way, and being the son of two Norwegian parents, and mm-hmm. a very adrift a in a family that had its own system and its own language, and then mm-hmm. having to sort of go to school and figure out a place in that. And anyway, I, I just was struck by the rep- repetition of boy, and then this book, and I wondered whether you had an experience at school that was like that's so interesting I never I never put that together but much like the feeling of eat pray love where I exhale Mm -hmm. you know when we were speaking earlier about motherhood we were off mic but about motherhood and and how difficult it is and how people don't talk about when you're screaming obscenities at your three-year-old <laughs> at least that's me um, no not me ever ever, ever. 
And that when someone goes, I remember calling my mother who had eight kids, mm-hmm. and I remember going, Oh my God, I think I hate this. I don't think I love my kids. It's terrible. And she went, Oh, I know. Motherhood is awful, darling. Don't worry. It's just horrific. And I exhaled. So um, yeah. much eat, pray, love. You know, I felt that exhale and comfort of likeness. Yeah. And I think there must have been something with the alienation and. The, the stranger in a strange land aspect to both of those books, Stand Before Your God and, and Boy, that rang true to me. Yeah. And I also really appreciate, I mean, Mary Carr does this too, that people can bring humor to darkness. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Isn't she wonderful? Lit is one of my just. I had that on my list. Lit books. changed. No. I, I read that three times in book. It started me praying. Did it? Lit started me praying. Really? Mm hmm. That's wonderful. Were you I, raised Catholic? No, your dad I mean was, my dad was was Catholic, yeah. but no, he didn't have enough hand in my raising to get to <laughs> to get to dictate my religion. I mean, I know I know a lot about Catholicism, but no, I wasn't. I went to a, a Church of England school. Got it. But um, but yeah, no, all of all of Mary Carr, I love, and I, I've just been reading her. But she wrote a wonderful book um, about biography and the art of biography and what it is to write biography, because uh-huh. I guess that's what she teaches too now. Yes, and that's right. so, um, and no one knows better than she does how to write biography and spin straw into gold. And yeah, yeah. And it is just what you say. It's there's such a gift in taking in taking pain and. Yeah. And it's and it's a way. It's like it's not describing it. It's as you say that that's what made um, the book you were just talking about stand before, uh, stand your, before God. your God. That what made it wonderful is that he's speaking in the place that he actually was. He's mm-hmm. describing what he actually experienced. Mm-hmm. And it's what Mary Carr talks about in the her biography book is try if you can to close your eyes and go back to that moment to mm-hmm. what it smelt like felt like what was on the table what was the feeling under your fingertips what was the how did your hair feel on your body at that moment you know the more you can get back to the specifics then the more specific that's going to be for us the reader and and rather than narrating how it felt rather than saying like I was just devastated when my mm-hmm. mother said this to me mm-hmm. is there a way mm-hmm. to like feel the pit in your stomach or the mm. clench of your toenails or whatever that was and there's a scene in stand before your god when the i guess it's the headmaster of the english he he he's shipped to the english school at five wow. or something right. and he goes into the headmaster and the headmaster kind of sit you know kneels down to talk to him and when Paul says it, he, what he's saying doesn't make sense. And all Paul could think about was his hair, which was so spiky uh-huh. that the little boy, Paul, the little boy reaches out and touches his head <laughs> to feel what the spiky feels like. And that's what he remembered from it's that moment. so great. That's so yeah. great. Oh, I'm ordering this book. Yes, yes. I um, wish I had it. I give them all away. I am. Um... Well, that leads me to one of the questions I have. I have some follow-up questions. Okay, just yes, a quick I'm ready. fire round of questions. I'm ready. So, do you lend books? That's a question that I have. Yes. No, you I do. give them. I you don't believe in lending books yeah. because I steal books, and I don't. Yeah. I think it's not a, it's not a sin. Yeah. No, I agree. I feel the same <laughs> way. Do you have what was the last book that made you cry, or do you cry in books? I do. I'm reading a Paul Auster book, Four Three Two One, and I just cried in that. Really? Yeah. God, that guy's brilliant. He's brilliant, isn't he? I don't know that one. Mm. Um, what's the book you're most ashamed of loving? I think we covered this. Um, Even though I'm not sure this question really belongs because there's um, shame. I think I know. Um, well, I liked 
I, I am ashamed of this, and I close my eyes while I say it. I thought shades of <laughs> shades of gray. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know they call it mommy porn, and I was reading it while going, God, get it together with your fucking sentences, and then going, well, that's pretty hot. That's pretty hot. That's pretty hot. I'm gonna oh, read the Jesus next one. Christ. Um, so, no, yeah. it was the same. I just rifled through it until I got to the sex, and I was like, all right. <laughs> Here she knows what she's doing. I have no idea what Anastasia Steele is doing the rest of the time. Here I know what she's doing. <laughs> so I'm with you. Um, last book you threw across the room, either figuratively or not. I I don't. Isn't that interesting? I, I think I, I went to a progressive school, so it wasn't sort of, I mean, I know you went to Oxford and you had two, you had two, you don't call them majors. What do you call them there? Um, we just... You just choose one thing. I just studied English literature for three years but straight. I thought you I didn't had read two. Book. No, just I one. It's even narrower than that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I I, uh, I always read for pleasure. So the minute I, I don't like something, you just said I it just down. put it down. Yeah. Um, Kindle, print, audiobook. I think we covered that too. But Kindle, print, do you have a preference? Do you prefer a, an um, actual I've book? I've been book? reading on my um, iPad because I can underline it. Oh. and find it and then oh. you, all the notes are right there right you don't do you miss a book book or do you would you prefer have an ipad by choice if you can if you i mean these I days don't. if you buy a book it's going to download it's gonna it it's going to be an ipad yeah. who taught you to read my mom really yeah my mom i was the eighth kid and by the time i came along she was much mellowed ah. but her way of teaching reading was to all of us was she'd put out these big cards like cat pop you know bench uh-huh. and then you would jump on whichever word and then if you jumped wrong she would beat you <laughs> and so my brother had his first I'm sorry reading no. lesson and or his first two reading lessons where she you know hit him beat him Whoa. and then the next reading lesson she went more it's time for your reading lesson so he put on his little football helmet and oh, football pads brilliant. that he got from Christmas and he came in and she went more take off your helmet and he wouldn't <laughs> He was like, that's how I took my reading lessons from then on. So wait, so when you say she'd mellowed, does that mean she didn't beat you? She didn't. No, no, no. I got to hop on things, and if I made a mistake, it was fine. And so she had me reading when I was five. Wow. Yeah. That's great. I think to give her some time to give her, it was like... Yeah. Because there was like television, there wasn't a whole lot of of television. Yeah. Yeah. Did your siblings help with the reading, or Mm -hmm. was it just mom? Just mom. Wow. Eight of you she taught to read. I'm just in awe. Um. You answered this, I think, already, Sarah Paulson, but who, is there anyone else you take book recommendations from? Are there blogs or lists or magazines or newspapers that you... No, it's always by word of mouth. Yeah. I'd say Sarah Paulson, my brother Moore, um, my sister Jane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Bill, back and forth, or do you no, recommend Bill to him? No, Bill doesn't more? read. He's not a reader, right? Not at all. Unless I'll you read, read it to, to him. him. Right. Um, is there? Do you write? Do you have literary aspirations? Is there a book that you wish you'd written, or do you have one in you that you circle? Or I, I don't. Um, I do like to write. I don't think I have a, a book in me. Mm-hmm. I just sort of write for. I wrote for the a website I do, and um, I I do wish I had read. I I do wish I had written the last lion. I uh, mean, when you read it, mm. or you know, you love the one you're with, or this Paul Auster book, right? But, the, you just go, how did you make such a true sentence right. that hits me right in the heart? It's like with a tennis racket. You right. know when you hit it on the yeah, sweet spot? Yeah, I do, I do. And everything feels in alignment. Oh. It's the best, isn't yeah. it? I agree. It's such a wonderful feeling to, mm. to have that in a book. Um, what do you wish you read more of? Autobiographies. Mm. 
history. Right. Um, I wish I remembered more of what I read, but yeah, I feel like, it, you know, what's that, that quote? If we don't learn from our past, we're, we're fated to repeat our past yeah, mistakes. Exactly. Do you pray? I see my memory is so bad that I just pray that it's gone in at some cellular level <laughs> and that even if I don't consciously remember it, some somewhere in my body, it's tracking that that was a bad move and therefore not to do it again. <laughs> I deeply pray that that's how it works. But anyway, um, probably is. Was there, is there a book that you expected to like but didn't? Um... Yes. What I hold on. I read that down. I wrote that down. Um, yes, I really thought that I would like all those William Kennedy books, Ironweed. No, I don't know them. A long time ago, they were a huge deal in the eighties, mm-hmm. and I and I did not like them at right. all. Do you remember why? Just didn't. Yes, I hate it. I I hate it with a passion when the author fucks around with with the voice of the narrator and tricks you. I understand it's a particular style, sure. but I feel like it's a betrayal. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And he did that. He switches back and forth and and uh he doesn't tell you that he's going to. No, he doesn't tell you and and it seems not to follow any rules. So right. I sort of go, I don't feel safe with you and yes. I feel like you're manipulating me. It's yeah. like in a, it's like in a scene. Yeah. When you go, you can do anything, but just tell me the truth. Right. Right, right. And, and if they don't tell you the truth, I literally become personally angry. <laughs> I personally want to hit them. No, I'm with you. I think point of view, you've got to be able to track that. You have to know mm-hmm. whose who's shoes you're standing in when you're reading. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the book that if you're sitting in a bar and you lay it down, you know going to get you laid? What's that book? I never think I'm going to get laid in a bar. And I Everyone never says did think that. Um... <laughs> Uh, let's see. The, Maybe it says more about me, this question. Maybe I, should just cut this I know. Question. I was like, this is really, who answers that? This is a guy question. Guys answer this, right? I don't know. I mean, guys have answered it. Yeah. Um, but it, it, expand it. Expand it simply to mean it's the book that at a dinner party, you know, if you drop it, makes you look good. Like, yes, yes. It's that book. Um, you know, sort of history books, I would say. Things like, um. Last Things like Mornings on Horseback, you know, about Theodore Roosevelt and his family. Uh-huh. Or, or actually the William Manchester book. It just so happens that say, I love that book. Sure, or, but that's, but that's yes, not a bad one. Yes, totally, that's to a good drop one. that. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Okay, you get to take one book to your desert island. Mm-hmm. Which is it? Um, I, I would say the William Manchester book. It is. The Last Lion. Uh-huh. It's big and thick and... Yeah, and you can read it to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, fantastic. Thank you so, Thank so, you so much. much. This was I love so hanging with fun. you. Me too. I love this. Felicity Huffman, thank you. Wait, what made you yeah. want to do this? I'm going to interview you for a second. Oh, you can put it in or not. Um, because I, one of my favorite radio shows is an English radio show called Desert Island Discs. Mm. And Desert Island Discs is a sort of national institution where... Um, the interviewer asks a famous person to talk about the five records that they would take to a desert island and mm. and from and what piece of music it would be and mm. why it why it influenced them and what period in their lives and it's now become a sort of rite of passage it's the equivalent of getting your star on the hollywood on the, oh. on, on hollywood it's like it's if you've been on desert island discs you've really arrived so much so that tom stoppard 
wrote one of one of my favorite plays of his is uh, the real thing and the opening scene of the real thing is a playwright rifling through the record collection at home trying to dig out the best records that are going to make him look the coolest with his wife cynically looking on as he's pouring through the records trying to figure out what he dares pick and what he doesn't anyway I've always loved it I love that scene it's my favorite play and I, the other day I was like I want to do a podcast about books and I want to do the equivalent I want to ask about the five books that have shaped people and it's one of the few things I would say it's the only thing I feel equipped to talk a little bit about because I have I know nothing about anything but I know a little bit about a lot of books so I figured I could I could maybe pull it off I love that so that's why. It's a great thing and everyone <laughs> loves talking about books I think so it feels like you know a common ground anyway thank you you're welcome That was Felicity Huffman, and you've been listening to Bookish. If you like the show, subscribe, tell a friend, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, share one of the interviews on social media, send someone an email to tell them you liked it, write them a letter, send them a book, just get them to listen to the show. All of the music is created and performed by my multi-talented husband, Davy Holmes, and the show is produced by the long-suffering Joe Batanz. Join me next week for my interview with writer, producer, director, and friend, David Goyer.